In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Have this in mind among yourselves, Paul tells the Philippian church. Paul uses these words about your thoughts, about your minds, about what is going on in your head. Several times in the second chapter of Philippians, right before our reading that we just heard, Paul uses these words, have this in mind among yourselves. The first part of the chapter exhorts these beloved Christians and you to think not of yourself first, but of others, and especially of those in your congregation, those with whom your mind is already shared because you believe the same things. Your thinking really does shape your living. How you think about things changes the way that you feel about things, and that changes the way that you behave about things. Changing your mind can change your life. And mental health professionals around the world can tell you that that is absolutely true. Repentance will change things. Your problem, all of our problems really, is that we think of ourselves first. I know best all the time. What's in it for me? When you go to pastor school and they teach you how to preach a sermon, like that's actually a, a part of it. And uh, you, you're supposed to address this because everyone's sitting there thinking, well, what's in this for me? Because at the end of the day, you are selfish and you want something for yourself in this experience here. What's in it for you? Why should you bother to wake up and come here and listen to a man talk to you for a couple of minutes? Why is this worth your time? What's in it for me? There's one theologian who wrote a book on worship uh, entitled, A Royal Waste of Time. It's wonderful. Now this is not to say that there's nothing in it for you. Of course there is. Uh, but how do we stop thinking about ourselves almost exclusively first? There are a lot of reasons why you come here, of course. And one of them is simply because there are other people here who need to see you here too. Your presence here means something. There are others, and you may not even speak to them or know their name. There are others who need to see that they are not alone in this faith and this life. And you have no idea how much of an encouragement you are to one another. Now this is why we bother keeping a liturgical calendar that's punctuated with saints days. Now we don't really do the whole patron saints thing. But the idea is, uh, is fairly solid. Say you're having a particular issue or you're into some hobby, or you have some career. And the church says, oh, actually, well, let me tell you about uh, St. Wolfgang of Regensburg, who is the patron saint of woodworkers. And um, we'll tell you about this story, about his acts, and things like that, you know? It's like, oh, well, someone's been there before, and we can be encouraged by all those sorts of things. But perhaps even... Better than that, hearing 
stories that might be made up about people that may have existed a thousand years ago, you have one another living, breathing, present comfort here. When you're missing from here, the church is also missing you. And that, that is an encouragement, isn't it? I mean, I've hardly ever seen um, anyone unhappy that someone else showed up on Sunday morning. There's something special about this. You don't have enemies here. So try to think of someone else just for once. Especially when you think about coming here, but try and do it in the rest of your life too. Think about others. And why? Because Jesus. Because Jesus, that's why. He existed in the form of God, but did not think that this was something to wield as power. It always comes across, across very strangely, uh, doesn't it, that reading? And, and if you're paying very much attention to it, you're thinking, what on earth does that mean? He was in the form of God, yet he did not count godliness something to be grasped. What in the world? It's a strange word there. It occurs only once in the whole entire Bible, which is maybe why the translations come across as uh, strange or hard to understand. But uh, there it is, harpagmon. And it basically means to use something to your own advantage. And moreover, not to use it only against someone else. It's not a good word. So essentially, Jesus Christ is here. He is God, and he does not see this as something to use against you, but for you. It was absolutely wild. His godliness is what enables him to take on the form of a slave and become completely obedient. Obedient to the point of death, and he completely empties himself. He gives himself to you. Remember that Jesus never uses his godliness for himself, but always for others and for you. When he is starving out in the desert, he has not eaten or drunk anything for 40 days. He does not even use his power to make food for himself. And when he is facing death, he does not call down the angel armies, even though he is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He submits completely to the law of the world, which he himself wrote. And he lays down his life and dies. No one takes it from him. And the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. When Jesus Christ came among us, he came not as a dictator or as a king, though we would want to make him one. He came as a slave. And he died what is even known as the servile supplicium, the slave's punishment is what they called crucifixion. You don't do that to good people. 
awful. And brutality was exerted upon him because he did not do what we thought he should do. They wanted him to be king. That, that's why they risked their lives for him. Palm Sunday, that's what it is. Those people are out there, and this is risky business. There's a new king in town, and they are behind him. But it quickly became apparent that he would not bend to their wills. He would not do the tricks that they wanted him to do. The people in the streets praising Jesus with palm branches and shouts of Hosanna know exactly what they are doing. They're saying something there. They're throwing their hat behind the new leader in town. And they know that Jesus has power, power to save them even if they get into trouble with the authorities, because they were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead and they have heard about this and they think that this translates into supreme power. They're not wrong. Supporting a rival ruler would put them in, in danger of, of insurrection, crucifixion themselves, but they thought it was worth it. They thought he was going to win. They knew there is only room for one Lord. You can't have two. It's ridiculous. So they come with palm branches and hosannas. Palm branches, symbols of victory. Hosannas, the Hebrew word of praise, salvation, save us. And only a few days later, this Jesus, who raised the dead, would die himself. Not what they saw coming. And all of their hope would be gone. His life is drained out and given into the world. And he has become the slave of all. He has done what no one could do or would do or even think to do. And so every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's amazing. And so you, with palm branches in your hands, hosannas upon your lips even today, you see this very same Jesus riding on a donkey, humble, coming to you to serve you. Yet again, today, here in his flesh and blood, that same Jesus that rode down the streets in Jerusalem is here with you. In his flesh and blood, humbled, and the bread and the wine. And so maybe you don't have to think of yourself first, because he has already thought of you. Receive your true king here today. Bend your knee and confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.